Welcome back to RaiderCast, the Tomb Raider podcast hosted by me, Chris, as I delve into the myths, mysteries and monsters of Lara Croft's world. In this episode, I'm going to be tackling the biggest mystery from Lara's debut adventure, so join me as I investigate a long-lost civilization from the dawn of time. This is the Cataclysm of Atlantis. Back in 1996, Lara Croft did what countless conspiracy theorists had failed to do by actually proving the existence of the lost continent of Atlantis. She also left it in ruin, but hey, what else is new? Today, I want to do some raiding of my own and dig into what we actually know about Atlantis in the Tomb Raider series as it's featured in three games so far. But first, some real-world history. Atlantis was first mentioned roughly two and a half thousand years ago by the Greek philosopher Plato. He described it as a gigantic island in the Atlantic Ocean that housed an advanced civilization, but, as the legend goes, over the course of a night and a day it sank, swallowed by the ocean, around 10,000 years before Common Era, so about 12,000 years ago for us. No real evidence has ever been found that suggests this island ever existed and even Plato's account of Atlantis is very much based on hearsay. He heard about it from his grandfather, who heard about it from an Athenian soldier, who heard it from an Egyptian priest, who heard it from someone, and someone else heard it from someone else, and so forth. We don't even know if Plato believed the story himself, or whether or not it was simply used as an allegory for this advanced or progressive society. It's a story about how humans can grow greedy, power-hungry and corrupt, and in Plato's version of events, the gods grew angry at humans for turning their backs on them, and they destroyed Atlantis with fire and quakes. It's a story that reminds us of another ancient story involving corrupt mankind, and divine retribution in the form of a flood, but more on that later. Regardless of Plato's Atlantean urban legend, skip forward a couple of thousand years, and a little team in Derby decided to use it as the foundation of Lara's first adventure. Development documents from August 1995 let slip the following juicy details. Storyline version 1 the premise. Many millions of years ago, an advanced humanoid civilization visited the Earth and settled here. They were called the Atlans, and they established a cultural base on a great continent. The Atlans had a two-tier social structure comprised of the priesthood and the people. The priesthood were an aristocracy of genetically enhanced men and women, with powers that made them very much like gods, but without the immortality of the latter though they were reputed to live for 200 years. Let's go over a couple of points here. This was a race not from Earth. They came from space a long, long time ago and set up camp on Earth. Now, since the Atlanteans' origins were never explored in-game, we can just assume this wider story stuck. I mean, the word Atlan doesn't directly appear in-game, but it's pretty on-the-nose clue, what with Natla being an anagram of it. If Tihokan, Qualapec, and Natla were the first generation of Atlanteans, then they themselves were aliens from another world. Much like Plato's myth, 
the Atlantean civilization was based on a large island, and boasted advanced science and technology. Tomb Raider 1's depiction of the race was all about the tech. Their pyramid was a genetic engineering laboratory, using the Skion artifact not only as a repository of ancient knowledge, but also for its apparent life-enhancing properties. More about that curious little detail in a future episode. They genetically engineered a slave race, and late in the game we find out that it was Natla's plan to breed the upgrade of life on Earth, to encourage evolution, and we can presume wipe out the human race in the process. Evolution's in a rut, natural selection at an all-time low. Shipping out fresh meat will incite territorial rages again, will strengthen and advance us. Even create new breeds. Kind of evolution on steroids, then. A kick in the pants. The cataclysm of Atlantis struck a race of languoring wimps. Plummeted them to the very basics of survival again. It shouldn't happen like that. Or like this. From time to time, Lara would accidentally crack open a big green incubation pod, or egg, and out would pop one of the mutated Atlantean soldiers. Then, we get to see Natla's pride and glory. Well, half of it, at least. The aptly named Adam, at least that's his name according to the official Japanese guide for Tomb Raider 1, hatched too early as a result of Lara meddling, and out pops a torso of an absolute giant. We really have to assume that it was only half done, because no advanced alien in their right mind would think, aha, I know what I can repopulate the Earth with, a race of creatures that have to drag themselves along the floor with their arms. Regardless, this torso monster, had it fully formed, would likely have been about 25 foot or 8 metres tall when it stood up, which is roughly higher than a two-storey building. It is an absolute giant. Now, let's take a look at the reworked story and the Atlanteans in 2007's Tomb Raider Anniversary. Due to a lack of available development documents, we can't be sure whether or not Crystal intended the same origins for these Atlanteans. We know that the Great Pyramid of Atlantis in that game was indeed on an island, but that wasn't the only part of the civilization left on Earth. During the finale of the game, Natla let slip that one remnant of Atlantis. I will find another. Yet, in contrast to Tomb Raider 1, these Atlanteans, they aren't so tech-savvy, at least not superficially. They wear robes rather than advanced robotic suits, crowns and tiaras rather than helmets or Darth Vader-esque masks, and their architecture is covered in arcane glowing runes and hieroglyphs. Whereas the Tomb Raider 1 Atlans used a freezing device akin to the Carbonite Chamber from The Empire Strikes Back. The Anniversary Atlanteans appear to use magic to seal their prisoners in giant crystals. It feels much more spiritual than scientific. But, as renowned sci-fi writer Arthur C. Clarke famously said, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Now, just for fun, I'm going to take you on a little tangent to explore a nifty little in-game conspiracy. 
While we can't be sure of the anniversary Atlanteans' origins, I personally believe the alien aspect of their storyline is unquestionable. Natla can shapeshift. From her regular human form, she can seemingly change into a demonic, thorny-skulled, winged being capable of throwing fiery projectiles at anyone unfortunate enough to cross her path. And, if she has that ability, it stands to reason that so do Tihokan and Kualapek. All three are seemingly immortal. At least, Natla survives, a million and one accidents that would have proved fatal to anyone else. Kualapek is seen to stand up in his tomb thousands of years after his apparent death, and Tihokan's tomb is empty. So, unless he's staggered a few feet and collapsed prematurely just out of sight, I guess he's still out there. It's perfectly reasonable to go along with the alien, otherworldly aspect of their story. I'd like to introduce you now to a bit of Tomb Raider 1 development history you might not know about that ties quite nicely into this little in-game conspiracy. The following is an excerpt from the Angel of Darkness companion book, which details an unused storyline from way back in 1994, while Tomb Raider was in early development. This was the storyline written not for Lara Croft, but for her progenitor, Lara Cruz. The Story Erstwhile archaeologist and full-time professional mercenary Lara Cruz is hired by manufacturer and multi-billionaire Willard Sterling to recover a number of legendary artefacts from various ancient sites around the world. Unbeknown to Lara Cruz, and the player, Sterling wants these artefacts because, when fitted together, they create a device known as the Cursubite, that can warp space and time, creating a doorway to a myriad of alternate worlds. Sterling is a renegade from one of these worlds, a disposed despot, banished to Earth many thousands of years ago by his own people, known as the Nephilim. Let's think about that for a minute. Core Design had the Nephilim on the cards before Lara Croft was even properly on the scene. Take a step back and incorporate that piece of information into the larger Tomb Raider picture. This is a link between the themes and the stories of early Tomb Raider 1 and the Angel of Darkness. Let me explain my train of thought. I've already gone a little bit into the real-world myth of Atlantis, so let's dive a little bit more into the real-world myth of the Nephilim. This was a race of fearsome creatures mentioned in the apocryphal biblical Book of Enoch. To put it simply, think of the Book of Enoch like a bunch of missing stories from the Bible that were based on biblical events. They got left out, they were rediscovered, and today some sects of Christianity consider it canon, whereas others don't. The book describes a group of rebel angels known as Watchers, who descended from heaven and took up residence on Earth. The story goes that these Watchers taught humans skills such as art, how to craft weapons, how to beautify themselves with makeup, and the very ungodly and occult practice of sorcery. Basically, all the cool stuff. Hashtag Team Watchers, am I right? Before long, the Watchers decided that humans were far too irresistible and had their lustful way with the people of Earth. The result of these unholy unions? A race of monstrous creatures known as Nephilim. Human-angel hybrids. In some translations, they're described as giants. The Nephilim wrought havoc on Earth before God thought, enough is enough, and sent the Great Flood to wash the world clean and purge it of their evil. Let's hop back to Tomb Raider Anniversary. Do these watchers remind you of anyone? 
a race that, air quote, descended from heaven, interfered with humanity? A potentially winged race? It's ticking all of the Atlantean boxes. Combine that with the story that Atlantis reportedly sunk beneath the waves, and there's your Great Flood connection too. It can even be linked to Tomb Raider 1, with Natler trying to breed a new race of, as the Book of Enoch described, giants on Earth. If we continue to link that original storyline to Tomb Raider 1 and the Angel of Darkness, then we can come to quite a fun conclusion. Karel the Nephilim from Tomb Raider 6 is the descendant of an Atlantean. Yep, I'm afraid so, listeners. Following this train of thought where the Watchers interbred with Earth's native species, it suggests that Tihokan, Kowalapek, or Natla got down and dirty with some of their human subjects. Which is nice. I mean, good for them. If Lara can have some family drama, then why can't Natla, eh? Crystal already started edging towards that dangerously soap opera-esque trope when they decided that Kowalapek and Natla were siblings, so it's not really a big leap to throw a secret child into the mix when you think about it. Anyway. Conspiracy aside, let's get back on track. I want to talk a little bit about Atlantean technology next, and everything that appears in the series. In both the original and in Anniversary, the race seemingly blended whatever technology they had with a fresh helping of fleshy matter. In the original, Atlantis is powered by the Skion artifact, which practically acts like a heart and revives the pyramid, making its very walls pulse. While we know the Skion is a repository of knowledge, its role in the pyramid also hints at potential life-giving properties. In the original, the pyramid generates what was fondly named Bacon Lara, a humanoid Atlantean fleshless entity that mimicked Lara's every single move. We don't know how it was made, or exactly who by. Was it made by the pyramid itself? Was Natla behind its creation? I'm more inclined to believe Bacon Lara was created by the pyramid itself, because it shows no malice towards Lara. It's simply a living mirror image. Fan theory is quite interesting and dark for this creature. It's been suggested that it was made as a trap for Lara, possibly as an attempt to get Lara to end her own life in order to end the life of this creature. Another theory suggests that it was merely copying the actions of the first thing it saw, and that it wasn't necessarily originally intended as a bizarre Lara clone. This creature is left completely without explanation until its reappearance in Tomb Raider Anniversary, which only gave us a little more information from one of the in-game documents. A hideous creature with no skin which mysteriously shares the exact physical characteristics of Lara Croft. Possessing only the most basic primal instincts, the creature mimics the actions of its adversaries. Lacking conscience, reason, and any kind of soul, the doppelganger is at once both very dangerous and also quite vulnerable. It still doesn't give us much more information until its more recent appearance in Tomb Raider Underworld as Lara's doppelganger. In that iteration, Natla is behind the creature, born, quote, against its will from a device at Helheim, a remnant of Atlantis, Natla created this creature as a weapon to torment Lara, 
Now visually identical to Lara, it possesses all her abilities and more. Super strength and speed helped it in its quest to attempt to destroy its mirror self, on the orders of the Atlantean Queen. Whereas all of Natla's other Atlantean creations seem immortal, the cat mummies, the centaurs, the bat... things, her Adam creature, which all die from a hail of bullets or burning up in lava, I'd argue that the doppelganger is her greatest, strongest accomplishment. Its own longevity seems to match Natla's, who can't be defeated by bullets, lava, having a pillar crush her, a pyramid blow up on top of her, falling into the mysterious glowing blue eater substance, or even being struck by Thor's hammer. As that Norsk chick said in her iconic legendary video, You can smash her with a hammer, or shoot her in the face, you can smash her with a pillar and blow up the whole place, you can throw her off a million clips with five down below, oh it doesn't make a difference in that love, oh hey! So good luck getting that out of your head. The doppelganger also survives a great deal on its own quest, such as being thrown off a 50-foot ledge into a solid stone floor and surviving completely unscathed. Original Natla takes biotech quite seriously, not only to shape the future of Atlantean offspring, Remember that final confrontation with Natla in both Tomb Raider 1 and Anniversary, when Natla has wings? Well. In the original, she doesn't actually have wings. Look closely in-game, or at screenshots online, and you'll notice that Natla is actually wearing a small winged creature on her shoulders, like some tiny, gross little fleshy backpack which allows her to fly. This concept of wearing living technology was carried forward into Anniversary. In both games during Natla's coup, serious harm was inflicted upon Qualipek, and he's paralysed. Well, Apparently, even with all of their amazing genetic technology, neither version of the Atlanteans were able to provide medical help that reversed the ruler's condition. Anniversary's Qualipec was able to continue manoeuvring around thanks to a large, multi-legged walking device, which we can assume was hooked up to his own brain and let him scuttle around like some sort of gargantuan grumpy spider. The original Qualipec appears to have veered away from this living suit idea, and when we see him in flashbacks, he's propped up by a large, seemingly robotic sci-fi Zimmer frame. In one scene, he's seen with his legs dangling down from this large frame, but honestly, I'm not even sure how he moved around without being swung raggedly from side to side, since that frame only had two legs. Perhaps there was some sort of gyroscopic control mechanism at the back that we never see, but I think that will forever remain a mystery since we never get to see that incarnation of Qualipec move. Atlantean architecture and technology is potentially a good explanation for some of the other set pieces and MacGuffins in the rest of the series. The events in Tomb Raider 1, Anniversary, and Underworld merely scratch the surface of the Atlantean culture and civilization. We've learned of their remarkable scientific and technological advancements, their foray into genetic engineering, cloning. We saw a hint of their hierarchical societal structure ruled by divine monarchy, a triumvirate of apparently immortal beings. The games revealed their links to other mythologies and cultures that formed later in world history, Egyptian, Peruvian, Greco-Roman, Norse, Thai, Mexican, and more. 
one of my personal favourite additions to the Atlantean mythos in relation to architecture from the anniversary version of events is the Jormungandr device found in the Helheim section of Underworld. According to Norse myth, Jormungandr is the world serpent, a colossal leviathan that encircles the earth biting its own tail. Think of it like an Ouroboros of epic proportion. Natler goes on to explain that no, don't be ridiculous, that's just a myth. Jormungandr is actually a network of tectonic ridges that encircle the world on the sea floor, and this gigantic device sits at its weakest point. That's right, it's an enormous doomsday device. At some point during history, the Atlanteans, or their descendants, thought, you know what would be great? If we could construct an almighty magical stone machine that can smash away at this underwater ridge, creating global earthquakes and eruptions and just generally mess everything up for everyone. I'm not sure why that sounded drunk, I just imagine that's something that a drunk Atlantean would probably say. These Atlanteans seem very much our way or the highway, except in this instance, the highway is everybody dies. Artifacts found by Lara in the anniversary edition of the game did try and provide a little more information into Atlantean society, and it backs up what I was saying in regards to this version of Atlantis being more spiritual than the truly technologically advanced race in Tomb Raider 1. The first artifact is the Torque of Embitterment. A torque is a decorative necklace, and in this instance it was a ceremonial piece. According to the in-game notes, this piece of jewellery was worn by the Atlantean priestess judges during sentencing of criminals that had offended the god-kings of Atlantis. As any act against the divine monarchy was punishable by death, you can think of this talk like the black cap that was originally worn by English judges when passing a death sentence. Personally, I'm inclined to believe that this is a symbol of how insecure and self-centred the anniversary triumvirate really were, if even the slightest word against their authority was punished by death. It doesn't exactly scream out advanced civilization. The second artifact is known as the Chalice of Torment, which is described like this. This chalice was used to collect spilled blood of sacrificial virgins. Once the blood was collected, the chalice would be used as a mixing vessel where other herbs and powders were added to turn the liquid into a psychotropic fluid used by the Atlantean priestess judges to invoke spirit journeys. Again, sacrificial virgins and spirit journeys, it paints a picture more of a sort of fantastical religious society rather than one of advanced technology and progressive thinking. More hints of their more magical rather than scientific nature comes during the events of Tomb Raider Underworld. Natla convinces Lara to meet her at Helheim, implying that it is an ancient Atlantean place, and in order to gain entrance, she must perform a ritual. No special key or device, just a ritual. Yet we don't know much more. We don't know exactly where the Atlanteans came from, or how exactly they came to Earth, whether by spacecraft or wormhole as early story drafts hinted. We don't really know anything about the people, the residents of Atlantis. We don't know where they lived. We don't know of any other members of Atlantean society beyond Tihokan, Koalapek, and Natla. Eventually, all things come to an end for the race and their culture. In Tomb Raider 1, the cataclysm of Atlantis was the beginning of the end. A meteorite smashed into Earth and was the presumable cause that Atlantis partially sunk. Here lies Tihokan, one of the two just rulers of 
Atlantis, who even after the curse of the continent had tried to keep rule here in these barren other lands, look over us kindly to Hoken. If you want to connect Tomb Raider 1 and Tomb Raider 3, who's to say that meteorite wasn't the one from the opening cutscene of that game? In comparison, a cutscene from Tomb Raider Anniversary claimed that a great betrayal caused Atlantis to sink beneath the waves, no doubt implying that Natla was to blame for its downfall. I'd have loved to see more story from that event. Both versions from Tomb Raider 1 and Anniversary would have been great to see. I don't know if these things would ever have come to light had the original Tomb Raider 1-6 story continued, but I think it's damn fun to speculate. Even the unused ending of Shadow of the Tomb Raider hints that that story could have led into the events of Tomb Raider 1. Is it still on the cards? Perhaps one day we'll get another adventure into Atlantis, either with a brand new story or a retelling of the Triumvirate's tale. But who knows what the future really holds. Thanks for listening! In the next episode, I'll be hunting down some of the Tomb Raider series' monsters and talking to a special guest about the real-world myths and legends behind them. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to RaiderCast on your preferred streaming platform, and follow along at RaiderCastPod on Twitter. See you next time!